Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Clark Chilton, one of our associate pastors here at the church. We're in a sermon series called Advent Preparing for Christmas. Advent is that time of year where we know it's not quite yet Christmas, and that's okay. A time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of seeking God and drawing near to God as we take this journey together toward the manger on Christmas Eve. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's also a stressful time. It's a time uh, when we remember those in our past or we miss loved ones. It can be a, a time of difficulty as well, and we acknowledge that. We want you to know that we're praying for you. If you want to join us for a worship service any Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m., we would love to see you. To learn more, visit wesleymemorial.org. And now here's this week's message on Advent, preparing for Christmas. You know, I've told before, I grew up in Goldsboro for a couple of years, and they have these creatures in Goldsboro uh, called flying squirrels and in eastern North Carolina. And I think their purpose is just to, to scare your mother. I think that's why they exist. Uh, at our house, uh, we had a lot of trees near our home, and the squirrels would float down to our chimney and run down the chimney and get into our house. I'd hear them sometimes. And one night, we were in our family room watching television, and there was a hanging picture on the wall, and from behind the picture, a squirrel came out attached to the wall. Um, and bedlam ensues, and we start running around everywhere, and we run out of the room, close the door. My older brother and I are like, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this problem? And, and I, he said, let's put the cat in there. Let the cat kill it. And I said, well, I don't know about that. I said, what if we try and trap it? Okay, so we, we managed to corner it and get it back into the hearth area, into the chimney area behind the, you know, the, the protective thing for sparks thing. And we got it back there, and I said, in my youthful innocence, I said, what if I get an oven mitt and, and reach in there, and it'll welcome my assistance and my compassion and mercy, and, and, and gladly let me domesticate it and take it outside. So I tried to pick it up, and it was like, you know, a squirrel on methamphetamines. I mean, it was just out of control, you know. It was not going to happen. So then we said, what if we cut a hole in the side of a box and push it up to the front of the hearth and wait for it to come out? And that's what it did. Uh, it eventually came into the box, closed it up, and took it outside and released it back into the yard. So crisis was averted. You know, it's, it, later I was thinking about, I was thinking about that memory. It, it's funny that our little visitor, he frantically tried to uh, bash its way out of its dark prison, but when it started to do that, it kind of would almost harm itself out of its panic and its anxiety. The harder it struggled, um, the more pain it caused. In some ways, it just had to wait for someone bigger and stronger and more capable to come in and, uh, the one who could peer into his world, in a sense, and then release it into a larger world where it actually belonged. As we're going through this time of Advent, and it's really a time of waiting, uh, you know, sometimes waiting can feel like we're wasting time. But in reality, waiting is an opportunity to learn patience. It, you know, in many ways, Advent, it, it really is about the journey and not just the destination, you know? Because sometimes we can really hype up Christmas to the point when you get to it, you're like, oh, is it okay, it's over, you know? But it, this is, it's more about, it's, while we're waiting, it's more about what God does in us while we wait than what we're waiting for, right? It's, you can write that down if you want. That's pretty good. 
It's more about what God does in us while we wait than what we're waiting for. And in those moments of waiting, we learn patience, we learn trust, we learn to rely more on one who is bigger and stronger than we are and is then capable to set us free to the place where we belong. So we're in our second week of the Advent Preparing for Christmas series, and I got my journey bag here again. I got my bag full of stuff that's where we've been taking with us. Last week, we pulled out a bunch of items. So tonight, today, I've got some interesting things to help us during Christmas. Christmas can be difficult. We can get headaches, so you've got some leave. If, uh, you know, I could use this at Christmas time. Uh, those of us with uh, aching joints got some Voltaren. Um, this is great stuff, by the way. It's really great. I use that sometimes. Full, full disclosure. And then last week, we learned about our, our branch, the righteous branch that uh, Christ is representative of, that he has been birthed out of the dead stump of the covenant with Israel, and that he is our, the new growth, in a sense, of the reign of, of the king and the earth. And then our, our object today is, uh, is really a little stoplight. Isn't that cute? A little stoplight. And we're really going to focus more on yellow and red here uh, for Advent. Because sometimes waiting, waiting is more important than we think it is. Because when we're forced to wait, we're forced to be patient. We're pushed closer to a place of trust. Waiting is not fun. I'm a very impatient person sometimes, believe it or not. And, and waiting can really start to grate on you. And many times I'll be waiting in traffic or in a line, and you think, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What do I need to learn? But waiting time is not wasted time. Really, waiting presents us with an opportunity, doesn't it? It presents us with a moment to decide what we do with this time that we have. Henry Nouwen, the Catholic priest, said that waiting time is not wasting time. Waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. It's not just something you do. It's, he would say it's the foundation. And many times just waiting on God in prayer, simply abiding with God, is a huge, huge part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that we're waiting uh, it, with him. Even we're not alone in our waiting, but that we are waiting with him. And it's a big part of what it means as a Christian. Well, today we're going to look at the messianic prophecy of, of Micah. And the Old Testament minor prophet is called and Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah back in those days. And in this prophecy of Micah, uh, he would prophesy that the Messiah would be born specifically in the city of Bethlehem, that the Messiah would specifically be born of a woman. So this is written 700 years before Jesus was born. So we have that span of time between Micah and Bethlehem and the birth 700 years. I mean, a lot can happen in 700 years. Think of what our world looked like in the year um, 1321, you know. I mean, a lot can change. But God knew that Bethlehem would continue. He knew that Bethlehem would continue to be a city, and it still is. That, he, that it would, in a sense, endure. Now, Bethlehem, it's not a New York City. It's not a Paris. It's definitely not a Jerusalem, even. It's more like the town of like Level Cross or like think of Tyro and go much smaller. You know, it's like a one yellow light blinking town that you kind of pass through to get to the beach or something like that. It's like an unincorporated township. 
That's what Bethlehem is like. It, it's not even included in the 12 tribes of Israel. It is a very, very small place, totally unnoticed. Bethlehem is known as the city of David. Now, why is that? It's because David was born there. Uh, Jesse, his father, was born there. David's brothers were born in Bethlehem. They're all from Bethlehem. Bethlehem also means it, uh, the city of bread or the house of bread. It was a place of bread manufacturing to that whole area. It was well known for its bread that it produced. So from Bethlehem would come nourishment and the abilities to sustain people, to help with food. Now, of course, it's fascinating that in John 6.35, Jesus would say, I am the bread of life, that I have come to be your sustainer. All who, you will never hunger if you follow me. So it's fascinating that bread is the basic metaphor for sustaining our lives. Jesus would come from the place that's called the house of bread. And then it says Bethlehem Ephratah, as we'll read. That's the district. That's the little bit of a larger area where Bethlehem was, was located because there's more than one Bethlehem. So there's, it's God was being specific 700 years and saying it is not, it'll be from this specific place that the Messiah will be born, not the other ones. He was being very specific to distinguish it. The wise men, when they're pursuing the birth of the Messiah, they would refer to this uh, prophecy in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, the wise men says this, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So, if I'm picking the place of the birthplace, and you and I are, we probably pick Jerusalem. That's the place of the lights and the attention and the people, and everyone would know that here comes the Messiah. But even God knew that he almost had to come under the cover of darkness, and even when he did, King Herod tried to kill the, the baby. King Herod had all the firstborn sons killed in that area. So God knew, I've got to come in on, on the sly. Because this world is under enemy-occupied territory. And so if we're picking the place, we would pick the obvious place. But thankfully, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Thankfully, God's ways are not our ways. That thankfully, God knows that great things come from small places. That he always works out of the small, unnoticed, innocuous things of life that the rest of the culture might not pay attention to. That God knows that waiting time is not wasting time. And that what God does in us while we wait is more important than what we're waiting Four. So here are these words from Micah chapter 5. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Micah writes, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephratah, you who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Now to scholars, before, this, before Christ was born, they were very confused about this passage. Because on one hand, it's saying, there's someone going to be born from, a, uh, from the town of Bethlehem, and he's going to rule Israel. But then it also says, whose origin is from ancient days. 
so it was confusing because it's like, how can you have an origin and not an origin, right? And then, so then if you really look at other words, though, you could, you could, you could uh, interpret this as origins in ancient past, from of old, being of God. He, it's the, the implication here is that whoever this person is, is divine. They are divine, but they will somehow be born in Bethlehem. But that's not his beginning. He's never had a beginning, the Son of God. He's always been with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. But he, has a, he entered himself in the temporal flow of time in this point and place in Bethlehem. But Jesus is from eternity past. He has no beginning and no end. In verse 3, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she, it's a reference to, to Mary, who is in labor, has brought forth. So whoever this person is, they're going to be born in Bethlehem, they're going to have an origin and yet not an origin, and they're going to be born of a woman. And then the rest of his kindred shall return to the, the people of Israel. So this could be a prophecy that's currently unfolding before our eyes, where there's actually more Jews living in Israel than even in New York City right now. More Jews from around the world are moving to the land of Israel that we know in 1945, the nation state of Israel was established, that really seemed like a miracle. I mean, the Jewish people never thought they would have a country ever again. And now we're seeing it happen before our very eyes. Now, this could also be uh, a, a prophecy about Gentiles as well, me and you, that it's a, it's a gathering of the people of God back to the heart of God as well. And then verse 4, he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. Of course, here's when Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, you see there's echoes of that. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. You know, waiting on God in prayer, waiting on God through our daily lives, for the rest of our lives, it, it, it's, a, it's a critical spiritual discipline to continually develop. That none of us are perfect, but to continue to grow in this deep, abiding heart of prayer, to be people of prayer. That's how we wait on God, is through prayer. Waiting on God, that as Nowen said, so much of our journey is the foundation of it, is that waiting with God, but also waiting for God, and just drawing near to him with our heart and mind and soul and strength. That here's one of the best things, though, about waiting in God, on God in prayer, is that Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. That you're refusing to move before he tells you to move. That you're holding every thought captive in service to him. That if we refer back to this stoplight, that we're, instead, if, we're, if you're waiting for that light to turn green in your life, whatever that thing is, to also learn how to be content when it's yellow or when you get a no and it's red. To, to be content with that, that to know that God is enough, even if you're not getting the direction that you thought you should have gotten. See, when we're in prayer, we're aware, aware that God is in action, and that when the circumstances are ready, and that when others are in the right place, when our hearts are prepared, he will call us into action at the perfect time if we're listening. The pastor H.B. Charles Jr. tells a great story about waiting and how it's not wasted time, when he tells the story, uh, one hot afternoon, a, a woman was walking to her neighbor's produce stand to buy 
grapes. And I don't know anything better than fresh grapes in the summertime. But the line was long. And so she was in the back of the line. Yesterday, I went to the, the Daniel Boone Inn in Boone. Long line. Long line. You've got to pay cash only at Daniel Boone Inn. You've got to take out some money to pay. But you waited a long, long time. And so we know what that feels like to be in a queue that just seems to stretch on and on. This woman's waiting. But she's waiting patiently at first. But here's the thing about waiting in line, right? If you're waiting in line, you see someone up front, they get special attention. How did they get? I was at Disney World in March. You wait in lines at Disney World. You see people cut. They walk by me, and they get in the front of the line. And I would ask them, how do they do that? Well, they have a special need. They're, you know, whatever. They have a thing they signed up for. So when you're waiting in line, you, you get impatient as you wait longer and longer. But this woman's waiting. She's waiting for her grapes. When she finally made it to the front, the owner asked for her order. She asked, I would like some grapes, please. The answer was, please wait for a moment. The owner walked away, disappeared behind a building, and for some reason, this rubbed the woman the wrong way. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're like, hey, I've waited forever. You're making me wait some more. That's not really fair. Everyone in line before her was greeted warmly. They immediately got what they wanted, but this woman did not. They, she was forced to wait, and when she got to the front of the line, she was forced to wait some more. The longer she waited, the angrier she became. Then the man appeared again, and with a big smile, he presented her with the most beautiful grapes she had ever seen. He invited her to taste them. She never tasted grapes so good, and as she turned to leave with her delicious grapes, he stopped her and said, I'm sorry I kept you waiting, but I needed the time to get you my very best. You know, when you and I are waiting on God, maybe you're waiting on God for something. I don't know. You're waiting on God to tell you or lead you or direct you in some way. I encourage you, whatever it is you're waiting for, a door to be opened, a problem to be solved, asking God to meet a need, please hear me. Don't get out of line. Don't get out of line. Wait, wait, wait. Because he is our reward. He is our portion. He is more than enough. And Having that patience it is, is saying, I'm trusting in your character, God. I'm trusting in who you say you are and not in my circumstance. I'm, I'm looking beyond what I'm seeing. I encourage you, don't get out of that line. That in our weakness, in our impatience, he is strong. He will give us our, what we need in those moments. He is working. He is preparing his best, in a sense. And I'm going to read some scripture and I want to, I pray that this, these words just minister to you if you are in a season of waiting. And if you're not, you will be. <laughs> Either you're, you are or you will be at some point. And so hear these words of God. God knows that we have to wait. He knows that we're made of dust. He knows that we get impatient. So you, he, he's, God gives us all these words throughout the Bible. So I ask you to close your eyes. Hear these words. First from Isaiah 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait. Second Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
than Isaiah 30. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him.